Welcome to the Film Common Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Krut. We're the editors of Film Common. This week, we're reporting from Berlin, where the 2023 edition of the Berlinale is currently underway. Throughout the festival, we'll be sharing daily podcasts, dispatches, and interviews covering all the highlights of this year's selection. So follow along on the Film Comment podcast and the Film Comment letter. Choose. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Film Comment podcast at Berlin. We're calling today's episode The French Dispatch because we have two very, very French guests with us who you've heard before on the podcast. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Antoine? Um, I'm Antoine Thirion. Uh, yeah, I'm a programmer. Used to be a film critic. Um, still writing a little bit. Um, even for you. Yes. I'm Jean-Michel Frodon. I'm still mostly a film critic. I happen to be a programmer once in a while and also a professor. But thank you both for joining us. And we'll just get right into the movies because we're kind of squeezing this in between many screenings. Mm-hmm. And uh, one movie that I thought that Jean-Michel was just telling me he didn't want to talk about, but I'm going to make him talk about, is Disco Boy, uh, which I just feel has been sort of a buzzy title. It's it's the second movie in the festival featuring Franz Rogowski. There's also passages by Ira Sachs. Uh, Jean-Michel, do you want to tell us a little about this movie? Oh, Disco Boy uh, is about uh, two stories that kind of melt together. One is the story of uh, a young man uh, from Belarusia who emigrates to France where he becomes a soldier in the French Foreign Legion and he's sent to Nigeria, where he is fighting and killing a uh, guerrilla guy. And then uh, more things are happening. I don't want to, to give uh, uh, all, the, all the story, but it is uh, u- using a lot of visual effects uh, to create a kind of mix of uh, uh, relations between people, which I think is uh, taking advantage of real and very difficult situation more to show off than to help uh, relate with real things, even through political or uh, uh, made up, uh, made up uh, artistic, uh, artistic uh, tools. The real, you mean the real context of this conflict that they're involved in? I feel like does the. the person who, who made the film doesn't care for what's really happening either for people who right. emigrate to Western Europe from Central uh, or former Eastern Europe or the situation oh, okay. uh, in, in, in Africa or, or being a soldier or, or whatever. It's, it's taking advantage of this geopolitical situation, human situation, all of this, just to, to, to strike the audience, right. but with, with uh, tools that uh, do not um, uh, seem uh, right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a similar impression. I think it's a, it's a very striking film at the beginning. It's shot in a very kind of original way. Um, there's It's very stylized, and the cinematography 
kind of elides and makes certain uh, choices that feel quite mysterious at first. And you, and that kind of set up the expectation for something. I mean, you know, it's a film about the French Foreign Legion, so you immediately think of Beautrevai. And there is actually a Beautrevai-esque aspect here. Uh, there's a lot of dancing in the film. Uh, the title Disco Boy comes from a reference to dancing. And the, the film ends on a scene that is, I think, very explicitly an homage right, to, to Beautrevai. But... It, it is it is a sort of thing where Beautrevai is very, in the same way, abstract and mysterious and really kind of is set in Africa and has African characters but is about white soldiers. But it taps into something that feels quite real, ultimately. And I think this film struggles to do that. You know, ultimately it feels like there is a lot of stylization that covers up for a lack of a strong political stance, like you're, you're saying. What's the filmmaker's name? Giacomo Abrusese, and I don't. I think it's his first feature. Is that correct? Um, I think so, but I haven't seen the film, so uh, that's I right. Don't know if I, I should uh, jump into the discussion. No, you're you're just <laughs> providing facts. Um, and but I've just certainly never seen any films by him before. And uh, like I said, it stars Franz Rogowski. He's the Belarusian immigrant, so he immigrates illegally to France. So the kind of main theme of this film is what France makes illegal immigrants do in order to, you know, it dangles residency in this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, they're, they're not citizens of France. It dangles the possibility of citizenship in front of them and then sends them to these corners of the world and do like the horrible things that militaries do. Right. And that turns out interestingly in a promising direction. But I think where the film really falters is it almost half of the film is about the Nigerian rebels who are kind of defending their land against corporate, like Western corporate interests. And it sets up this kind of conflict where Franz Rogowski's character is dispatched there and then certain things happen that I'm not going to spoil and he wrestles with those moral choices. Mm. But really the Nigerian setting and the characters feel so instrumental here. And I feel like this is such a trend. I mean, this has always existed, but the trend of white Western filmmakers grappling with the effects of militarism and colonialism and neo-imperialism through the moral conflicts of white Western characters. And it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't, but it's always like, to me, if the film ends with the, ultimately ends with the, that, the moral conflict of the perpetrator rather than some kind of insight into the actual material life and circumstances mm -hmm. of the victims, it feels very disingenuous. The flip side is uh, uh, maybe a movie that we'll, we won't talk about today, but maybe in, in the next couple of days, Samsara, this film by a Spanish filmmaker, Luis Patino, about a Laotian family and then a uh, Tanzanian family. But uh, we can talk a bit more about that, but it's a kind of a complex. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, when, when, you, when you were saying that, I was actually thinking of ma uh, Manodrome. And I, I, was, I was watching this film and I was wondering, I mean, what kind of pleasure uh, you get watching that or what kind of uh, curiosity, uh, what kind of insights does it give you? And can I you say a little bit about what Manodrome is about? So Manodrome is, uh, it's, it's like, uh, very distantly, a sort of like uh, the master. Oh, it's a film about uh, or an, um, like a follower of, of Fight Club or something mm. like that. So it's a guy who's a little bit uh, is a taxi driver, 
and he's a little a modern bit, day. Yes. Like a keyboard clicking taxi he's, driver. He's quite shy. He has lots of frustration. Uh, he has a girlfriend and he's going to uh, have a kid. But uh, he needs to man up. <laughs> that horrible expression. In, and so in, he, go, he goes to the gym and like take responsibility muscles. for his life. Exactly. Yeah. And then he meets uh, some sort of sect uh, led by Adrian Brody. Uh, which uh, oh, that explains why there was a huge th- image of Adrian Brody. I was like, "What yes. movie is he in?" Yes. <laughs> this is, this so he's like a Jordan so Peterson type figure, yes. maybe. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but but uh, Adrian Brody has a minor part in the okay. film. It's mostly uh, it's mostly Jesse Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, yes, yes, yes. who has a, a very um, a crazy hair color. Uh, it's not red; like it's very uh, it's like red. Red, like red, orange, red, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's very painful to to watch him going through uh, what he's going through, but also what he, going through the film. Um, yeah. He's often he often kind of makes the audience uncomfortable. It's like his signature his signature yeah. move. But in this the, you, this you're saying is like in a way that does not open up in, into any. But now it's Jesse Eisenberg who went to the gym, so okay. it's, it's sort of <laughs> sort of different. And so went too much to the gym. Uh, ob- ob- obviously, uh, and then he enters this kind of masculinist uh, sect and, and becomes more and more crazy. Uh, it's probably something different seen from Europe, uh, seen from the US, because uh, we don't have so much uh, acknowledgement or, or connection with this kind of, of behavior. So it's a kind of... Uh, uh, opening uh, something about this facet of more general craziness we all deal with some, somehow, but it has this way to, to address this issue, like a, a factual issue, but to go beyond entering a kind of, uh, of uh, madness uh, that ultimately uh, destroyed all the boundaries. So it, it, it has a inner, I would say, uh, inner energy to deal with this uh, uh, terrible uh, narrow-minded uh, mm-hmm. uh, structure, which is, uh, as we as we know from, but more from newspapers and from cinema so far, uh, that it is uh, in actually a plague that is existing now. Uh, Probably more in the U- in the U.S. under these forms than in Western Europe, at least. You were convinced by the film. You you found the film convincing in in its portrayal. I I, I, I was interested that it was fir- both ad- the topic was addressed, but it was not the topic was not limiting the film. The film was going straight to to open to to larger and all the quotes of former films uh, Antoine j- just made makes it relate with a larger story mm. at the same time as it does address <laughs> this specific issue of the of this masculinist masculinist uh, macho uh, sect uh, that, mm. that are part of contemporary situation but antoine you you didn't feel very moved by this <laughs> no 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 i'm maybe just to like take some distance with the film it's yeah. the, this idea that uh, films are tackling toxic masculinity yeah and i i'm wondering uh, like more generally uh, who who is it supposed to convince you know right right uh, the many toxic men walking around the Berlinale palace yeah. like yeah. so 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 for me like it's not it's not about the film which yeah. has like qualities and uh, it's more about uh, 
like what is this for uh i i feel it's very much something for actors uh mm, like an opportunity yeah. for actors uh but it, it feels very self uh right sort of a pat on the back it, yeah, yeah like yeah so the adults is not about toxic masculinity but i feel like there is an interesting i think it is about a talk i think it, it do is do you think so sure yeah like that is actually the most interesting part of the film yeah that's where it gets kind of dark yeah uh, michael sarah is is so harmless looking but actually has this like really horrible streak of competition so maybe we can talk about that a little bit totally so he's uh, he's coming back to see his family i don't i don't I'm not sure we really know what his life is. We don't really find out. But uh, but the thing is, like, he has trouble connecting with his uh, sisters back home and his uh, parents' mother. Uh, Their mother's has mother has mother's has dead. died. Yeah. yeah, and I think she she's left the house to the to family the to the and the older sister has taken it on. And right. Yeah. And Michael Sarah's character, who I think, is the oldest. I wasn't yes. actually. He's the oldest. Yeah, of the he's three the oldest kids. sibling. So, so he comes back, and the first thing he yeah. does is to uh, go meet his poker friends by um, lying to by like <laughs> yes. lying to his sisters and saying he's yes. like taking a nap or something. Yes. Right? Yeah. And uh, like all this thing about poker is what will make him stay with his sister, mm-hmm. uh, and then they will sort of reconnect. Yeah. He keeps getting. Yeah, they keep adding more poker games, and he keep, he has this obsessive. Com- competitive urge so he keeps yeah. staying prolonging his stay to, to yeah. in order to win more so this is directed by Dustin Guy Defay and in many ways it's a very familiar film you know it's about an estranged sibling who comes back to upstate New York I mean there's a very kind of upstate New York feel to everything like um, east coast feel to reconnect with his siblings who are sort of recalling Buffalo 66 another classic of toxic masculinity not of toxic masculinity I mean it just feels like an upstate New York film I don't know you know they're like kind of middle class and they they have yeah these uh, these um, bourgeois kind of resentments you know so he Mm -hmm. comes back but the film kind of exceeds that template because of this strange streak that Michael Sarah's character has, which you don't discover right away. He goes to this poker game and you don't know why he's so obsessed with it. And then he loses just like, he, right. you know, just Once. by the neck, by the skin of his teeth. And you just see this like rage bubble up in his eyes. And then he can't stop. He keeps extending his stay because he wants to keep winning. And you see that that competitiveness has actually maybe affected his relationships more broadly. Totally. And I think also the thing with poker where you have to hide your game. So that's what's being reproached to him. But then I don't think that he's like winning mentality is so much something about masculinity uh-huh. like it's it's more uh, understood within the context of the uh, family mm. yeah. um, and i think what's really interesting about the film it, it's true it's a bit uh <laughs> polite and maybe we'll talk about that for another film but uh, it has a politeness which breaks a little bit in the end but mm. what i really liked about the film is mostly what the actors are doing yes. and yeah. this like really weird imaginary of child actors and doing voices, <laughs> and I mean Hannah Gross is is amazing doing that. Yeah. And there's a like a really really great scene in the end where like they're fighting in voices. <laughs> right. They have all these invented characters from their childhood, and they keep channeling them and talking 
about their real feelings through these characters, which sounds kind of cliche, but because they perform it with such absurdity, yeah. it's just ridiculously childish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you kind of think about that. That those that's a perform. You know, they're in order to communicate, they perform characters and act and dance. There's a dance sequence yeah. as well that they kind of break through. There's an emotional breakthrough there. But then when he's at poker, when he's comp competing to win, he's acting as well. And there's a scene where he like says, makes the Lion King his, tells the story of the Lion King as if it's his life story and, <laughs> oh, and cries. So and everybody, everybody at the poker table is like about on the verge of tears. And then somebody like realizes that it's the Lion King. Yeah. And then he comes off as sociopathic is what's right, funny. Right. I mean, how is he so good at lying, you know? Yeah. But it is true that I think what makes that the acting, there's that other scene where Hannah Gross goes into her childhood character in the middle at a work meeting. Yeah. And it's just so strange. And this kind of imaginary world breaks into this, like, you know, 2000s real, like um, New York realism that the yeah. movie is coming from. This podcast is supported by Netflix, presenting All Quiet on the Western Front. Nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best International Feature, Cinematography, Sound, Score, and Best Picture of the Year. Adapted from the best-selling novel, Awards Daily calls writer-director Edward Berger's stunning adaptation a jaw-dropping masterpiece, dazzlingly brilliant in every frame. It is one of the greatest anti-war films of all time. Next best picture raves, All Quiet on the Western Front is must-see viewing, a timeless story with even deeper relevance today, and Awards Watch calls it a staggering achievement. All Quiet on the Western Front is playing in select theaters and available on Netflix for your awards consideration. Now maybe, maybe, maybe you can introduce it, but the Shadow, Shadow Lace Tower. Yeah, directed by uh, Zhang Lu. And Jean-Michel, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Shadowless Tower? Uh, Shadowless Tower, uh, for me, is a very interesting example of a Chinese film which doesn't do what is expected. A Chinese a fes uh, international festival Chinese film mm -hmm. would do. Right. It is... Uh, uh, Built around the, the presence of, of uh, uh, characters who who are uh, constantly uh, repositioning themselves uh, one to the other and to the environment. It, it and it is uh, building uh, this uh, this relation which seems to be a rather predictable mm -hmm. uh, relation, mostly between a. Uh, middle-aged uh, divorced man who has no uh, who is grip on his life who is or somehow who like no, no, incredibly no. attractive to young women women yeah, as but, a yeah. womanizer yeah uh, and and uh, and a much younger uh, young young woman but for 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 me what was re really interesting not only in terms of script writing but in the way of circulating in spaces and and uh, opening uh, relation to to uh, um, other element of uh, their history there is there are there are many many subplots in this plot and we are like uh, connecting subplots one with the other in a kind of not exactly random because it always makes sense but unpredictable and freewheeling uh, way which uh, opens ultimately a lot of space uh, inside the film 
and if you 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 can pitch the films in three lines and it it will tell the truth of the film somehow and at the, at the same time it will be totally missing what makes it alive and kind of uh, blossoming uh, through all these multi relations also different places which deal with layers of time yeah including we, this like the history the historical much yeah, larger history yes, of Peking, yes a, a, families. a long a rather long history of, of contemporary china let's, right. let's say uh, but but since since the cultural revolution in the in the 70s until now mm-hmm. uh, through uh, echoes of, of, of many kind so it, it is a i think a very brilliant way to uh, use most most of the components are pr- predictable and have been seen a lot of times, but the way they are uh, assembled is very unusual and fruitful. And yeah, no, I was interested in uh, Jean-Michel's insight uh, about uh, um, Chinese cinema because he knows uh, so much about the different generations, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's true that it feels different and it almost feels like a Korean film. Uh, in some ways, uh, I wouldn't say Hong Sang Soo, but it has. I think that I, like, I think maybe, that's there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe it has to do with that character, who's mm-hmm. uh, like a fifty-year-old food critic, right? Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and drinker, and heavy and, drink. drinker, and a lot of time uh, uh, drinking and eating. Yeah. But because he's, so he's a food critic, a food so critic, he, and so he's a, it's a pretext to 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 eat and drink a lot. Yeah, he's described as a womanizer, and then there's this uh, young like 25 year old uh, woman artist who like sort of uh, try to uh, have a relation with him and he's like stays very what he says is polite in the end and I, I, I thought that this uh, idea was in, um, was really nice and really uh, profound um, that's another character his ex-wife is telling him in the end that his problem is that he's being too polite and that you can't have real relation uh, if if you are too polite. And I don't know, this like very modest idea really resonated for me uh, throughout the, the film and also around it. Uh, but yeah, it's a, like really nice. I, I, uh, I'm going to dissent. I, 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 mean, I actually, I agree that, that I think there's a lot more going on than the core story. And I think that that's like what you're referring to, these, these uh, instances where they refer to contemporary Chinese history. But I will say that I think that the core story, the romance at the, at the core of the movie reminded me more than anything of uh, Garden State in that it was right. this <laughs> sort of magic, the magical girl breaks the shell of an older man who's depressed. <laughs> and um, and I kept wondering, like, why does she care about this guy? He's depressed. He's mean. He doesn't want to talk to her. He's Why is she hanging around with this guy? Why doesn't she go hang out with another 25-year-old instead of a 40-year-old depressed guy? I mean that, and she wears very colorful clothes. It's just sort of like the Natalie Portman character, like manic pixie. So that to me, like, did not. That really was like an off note. um, That I think, uh, in in another in a movie that was in many ways interesting and compelling. I think there were other things going on. I think the structure of the story was interesting, and I I liked this uh, idea of the shadowless tower, this pagoda that he lives near kind of looming in the background. And I think that there's some really interesting... Mm. But I, I'd say it 
as much as Hong Sang So, there, there are some reasons to think about Hong Sang So. It also deals with the memory of uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai and uh, Chunking Express, uh, especially spe this kind of, because there is a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of uh, people who are giving them themselves appointments and cannot meet or, or this kind of uh, circulation between uh, uh, based, as, as you said, on the kind of uh, assessed uh, relation between both of them, which is right. mostly for the audience, not for the characters, okay. uh, mm -hmm. but which is active, you, nevertheless, and kind of works. Do you see it as a commentary on the, that generation of the, the middle-aged man? Because there's that scene where they're all drinking together with he and his gang from, high, from college, I think, are all drinking together, and they're just like, they've all, they're all divorced. And I read that as sort of, and they sing this song about uh, P, about Peking, about Beijing, mm -hmm. and uh, like an old ballad, and it, and that moment I really read as like a, not a criticism but a commentary on like the economic development of the last. Yeah, no, I think 30, it does address years. something which is not so so much present in in. Uh, uh, Chinese cinema, which has been addressing the changes in the Chinese society right. in the recent decades, which is those in the middle who were not directly victims of the huge shift that happened in, in the big cities, at least in in China, but who are not benefiters, right. neither, but who found themselves after uh, probably having been on a, on a rising uh, uh, line for, for, for a while, uh, lost in the middle. There's this uh, couples which were formed too quick with not enough uh, real connection right. between the individuals because uh, everybody wanted to move on so fast in the beginning of the, uh, the, the, the previous decades, uh, so uh -huh. to speak, uh, leaves on the shore. Uh, a lot of people uh, in kind of a loneliness, uh, not sure what they are going to be because they're not, they're not going to become really rich. They are not going to be also uh, in, in, involved in a kind of survival fight. They have yeah, yeah. a kind of background that mm. will keep them uh, alive opposite to they millions own property, of people. Right? Uh, I mean, like they, the the they, lead character owns the building that he lives in. Even though he doesn't have much money, yes, he has that security. Yes, it's, it's an ambiguous, it's a, not ambiguous, it's a composed right. uh, situation because this building belongs to a, uh, a previous era. Uh, and it's a survival of a previous era which testifies with something which used to be Beijing it's not anymore, except that it is used for tourists, so it is kept. So, mm -hmm. that's so there is that great scene of, where yes. they talk. He talks about the paint, how they re yeah, they painted exactly. over all it, the walls. This recently. is really for me. This is part really of the uh, finesse of of the storytelling. That's yeah. what I. That's what I. I did think really worked. I have to say, than. this film is like Hong Sang Soo meets Wong Kar Wai meets Garden, meets Garden State. State. I mean, now I it's have like to Zach see Braff. it. Yeah. <laughs> meets Zach Zach Braff. Braff. <laughs> a Braffian, <laughs> the Braffian touch. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe we could talk briefly about a film that um, Clint, Antoine, and I saw yesterday, maybe, uh, Here by Bas Dovos. He's a Belgian filmmaker. He made he had a film before this called Ghost Tropic um, that I quite liked 
It was also a very small film about an immigrant in Paris. And this is also a very kind of charming small film about immigrants in Paris, but a very different uh, approach to that same subject, both stylistically and narratively. Antoine, do you, do you want to just, I, you just saw it, so maybe you can just set it up for us. Yes, no, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really simple story, like cross story, two characters. One is an immigrant uh, worker in uh, in Belgium, and the other one is a, a bryologist, so I, <laughs> I learned the word. I, so I also, yeah, I, I, I wondered if they were misspelling biologist, but it's actually... No, I think it's yeah. bryologist, yeah. so it's a biologist who studies uh, mosses. Right. Uh, and she's like the daughter of a, a Chinese cook. Uh, that has Her a, aunt runs a Chinese restaurant yeah. Okay. together, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, I don't know it's really it's really tiny and it sort of expand in a beautiful way both on the micro uh, level and uh, it's very like uh, dreamy it puts you into uh, a dreamlike state uh, it's really nice so that character is like leaving work he has a weekend and then on the Monday he has to uh, go on vacations but by uh, back to home right he's uh, going back home exactly yeah but by meeting this woman. Uh, studying mosses in the middle of the the woods, uh, he will have sort some sort of like free time or yeah. le uh, leisurely uh, time. I don't know. It's um, there is this dreamlike state. The like the the image is quite uh, wonderful. Like mm -hmm. for all these Belgian uh, lightings, low low lighting at night, it really made me remember like Ari Groyard's photography, for example. Mm. Uh, and then you step into like, I don't know, Happy Chatbong's territory when they go into the woods. Um, I don't know, it's very, uh, I just saw it, so. There is that one moment kind of, there's a moment of like magical realism, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Right? But I won't spoil it, but yeah. It, um, did you already say where the lead character hails from? I mean, at some point he meets a relative and he speaks in in their uh, like uh, home language. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I, I'm not sure I, I haven't identified it. Yeah, I and think it might be Romanian or you yeah. know I, and, in and, that region. And that dreamlike state really worked for me, so I sort <laughs> of <laughs> those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's also interesting to think about this film in relation to Disco Boy, just because it's also a narrative of immigrants, but an Eastern European immigrant. Um, coming to in this case brussels right is i think so yeah, yeah is where I, I it's a very different kind of film but i just thought you know this is also a film that's quite stylized and simple but it conveys the experience like the day-to-day -day experience of the immigrant with such beauty and gentleness i mean one the film starts with um this protagonist working and kind of discussing his uh his vacation he's a construction worker and then we see that he suffers from insomnia and you know he's kind of homesick but none of these things are his homesickness is not necessarily made explicit but he keeps talking in a way that he makes keeps saying that he's going to stay after his vacations he's not sure yeah. how long he's going to when he's how he might stay longer. he might stay longer might stay and there's just some long. kind of out of placeness that he feels that the film um conveys but doesn't articulate which i found very moving and he has this thing where he's trying to empty his fridge. So he uh, keeps making soup with any everything that's in his fridge and giving that soup to people, like right. uh, to the uh, when he goes to the garage, to the like car mechanic, to this, um, you know, uh, to his sister. Like mm -hmm. he's always giving people soup, and then they're like having soup with him. And it's such a simple and warm gesture of community, like how this person who's from somewhere else and clearly feels a little bit lost has 
these bonds of community that are in the film expressed through these small gestures of sharing and eating together. Soup boy, they could have called it. Like what? Disco boy. They said they could have called it soup boy. <laughs> they could have called it soup boy. And it just, it looks beautiful and it just does something where it could go easily in the direction of being cute you know, especially the There's meeting. There's a couple of moments where I think it does kind of get... Yeah, there, I mean, the meeting of the two protagonists and when it goes into a kind of dream sequence that is just very green and mossy and in the forest, it's almost like a deconstructed rom-com or something, you know, and mm. it goes into that territory. Mm-hmm. But the use of time, I think, it's so slow and durational and really focusing on minor moments and like these ineffable feelings that the gestures between the two characters rather than the words that they're exchanging or any kind of like banter uh, you kind of see their their relationship grow yeah i mean i thought of aki korosmaki actually there's like a slight because of the immigrant characters but also kind of irony and it's not quite as absurd maybe as a korosmaki film but but that kind of whimsical touch no, I think the lighting brings to mind also Koismaki, right? Or like um, yeah, Northern Europe uh, kind of lights. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, that I think is actually one of the best films I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a very, I, we, I think it's a very like humble movie it and is, very yeah. small. You said small or tiny. I think it is not trying to. I don't, you know, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I don't want to say that it's not trying to do very much, but, but it's, it's not very to effectively make grand telling statements. This, this simple story. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the, you know, when you think about the moss and like the, I, I, the these both these characters are immigrants, and she says that moss is growing all around us. We don't notice it. You know, you think about like the different connect. I mean, there is something about immigration in Europe yeah. and the, and globalization. I think, but you know, how how grand of a statement could there possibly be in in a movie that is really like. Mm. about this yeah. these two people like having an almost wordless connection and which is about peering through the microscope and mm. you know making soup out, out of pantry leftovers yeah, beautiful I mean, footage yeah. of of you know cells plant cells and moss cells yeah yeah, yeah. that was nobody on the panel listeners don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um well i think um, we should i know that uh john michel wanted to speak quickly about ai african intelligence well i'm though. gonna give john michel a choice ai or ingeborg bachmann <laughs> Oh. <laughs> which which is starting now. Oh, really? That's that, that's the cheers for Vicky Creeps. Right? I can do both. Uh, very for rather quickly, Ingeborg Bachmann, uh, Margaret von Trotta biopic uh, is, uh, I would say, a very regular biopic who yeah. would not uh, raise uh, much interest except for the presence of Vicky Creeps, who has this particularity to make, I would say, any film she plays in better than it would be uh, without her. And then, uh, therefore, there's this character who is a German uh, poetess in the late 50s, uh, who was pretty famous uh, Mm -hmm. at the the time, uh, acquires a kind of uh, uh, mystery and a kind of... uh, uh, presence beyond what anyone could read in a biography or a dictionary uh, entry about, about this very interesting character. Yeah. The woman was was really uh, interesting, and her life with Max Frisch and a uh, yeah. lot of, of uh, historical elements, and the relation with uh, Desert. The, the, the title yeah. of the film includes my journey in the desert, which is not only the real desert in Egypt, but a 
her relation with the world she feels as being deserted yeah. some, somehow. So it is addressing all of this in a way like I would say almost all Margaret von Trotta films for the last 30 <laughs> years or so uh, in a kind of a very flat way except for her, the, the, the presence yeah. of, uh, of Vicky Cripps. And of course it's completely the opposite <laughs> in the idea of cinema yeah. uh, with uh, Mantia Diawara <laughs> uh, film uh, AI, African Intelligence, which is set in a village in Senegal, um, and which is uh, challenging uh, our relation with AI, artificial intelligence, uh, the way we relate mm -hmm. with it, the promises and the threats it, it conveys, and which is everywhere, mm -hmm. with a traditional... Uh, practices in, in in Africa which has to do with dance and with chants and, and with uh, trance mm -hmm. uh, and we are actually uh, attending very long uh, trance uh, feast or, or a situation mm -hmm. and the lens is very important and necessary to, to, to make understand there's this kind of uh, um, different relation with reality, with understanding of the world we live in. Not to say these are different uh, human uh, behaviors, but how does it relate? How is it part of the same world? Mm -hmm. And actually this is re-challenged by his own position because Mantia Diawara is there, he's showing itself, he's questioning his own position as a filmmaker and what film does, camera does, right. uh, editing does, uh, everything he's doing about this double um, uh, topic of the um, uh, artificial intelligence and the traditional... Uh, what are the connections? I mean, I'm just curious, I mean, what connections does he find between the, the traditional... It's not connection. It's mm -hmm. a, well, it's connection in the cinematic sense of editing. Okay. It's editing together the supposed hyper-rationality of uh, artificial intelligence and another way to connect things together which are not dubbed as rational, uh -huh. which comes from traditional African right. uh, beliefs, practices, and human relationship. Uh, it is built mostly around an incredible character, which is an old woman who is said to have 100 years. Maybe she's not 100, 100 years, but she's definitely very old, <laughs> who can dance without stopping for three days and three nights in a row in a kind of incredible way and this is defying the rationality coming from the artificial intelligence plus the, the talks of all these people the way they they think about themselves and they relate with their world and it is a, uh, really dis disturbing in a good way uh -huh. and even in a funny and vivid way because Basically, even if there is relation with death, relation with fear, relation with poverty, uh, there is an incredibly alive uh, kind of presence which is which is uh, uh, infusing the film itself. Mm. So this is come bringing to my mind randomly um, a common sequence by. Uh, Mary Helena Clark and Mike Gibbiser, which is not here. Uh, we spoke about it at Sundance, but it kind of ends with a... That film ends with this comment about how 
uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, neural network, they're, they're black boxes. So you, you don't really know what outcomes they will produce or how they produce certain outcomes. And that's similar to the way revelation works, like accessing knowledge through revelation. And um, it's just, I, I, it's, it's not about African, um, it's not, it's talking actually about like, you know, Catholic ways of thinking, mm -hmm. but it just brought to my mind what you were just saying. Um, I think we are out of time because our esteemed guests have to run to yes. screenings. And us, and us. Um, but okay. thank you both so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank so you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, once again, convening the French See dispatch. you around. <laughs> yes, we will see you around. All right. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.